Welcome to Acts. Christ's ministry continues our verse-by-verse journey through this first history book of the church. The church was started by Christ to continue his ministry. If you want to know what Jesus was about, read Isaiah 61, which is a prophecy. Every word in that chapter is about what he is about, and we should join him in that mission. So this book that we're going through is a history of of the people that began the journey that you and I are on. All right, today we'll be looking at Acts 9, verses 23 to 31. First, I would like to share some context. When the church began, uh, the enemies of Jesus, the ones that had had him crucified, much to their dismay, he didn't stay dead, uh, now had to deal with the threat, as they perceived it, of a church of followers of Jesus growing like mad. And so they threatened them with persecution. It couldn't happen. Then they began to actually persecute them with the killing of the first martyr. Stephen, one of the leaders in the church, was stoned until dead. And then they began to ransack their houses and haul off men and women to jail and try to disrupt everything they did. But who knows, you can't get a good man down. The church began to escape and flee to the places they originally came from and spread the gospel everywhere they went. Well, Saul, who was one of the leaders of the persecution, he actually oversaw the stoning of Stephen, got permission, authorization to take the persecution beyond the Jerusalem community, which is where the first church was established, and go to Syria, Damascus, an area of the world that still exists today. And on his way there, Jesus showed up blinded the man, knocked him down, and he had to be led by the hand to someone's home in Damascus. And so he got, obviously got his attention, so he went on a fast. Not only did he abstain from food, he abstained from drinking anything. And after three days, a man sent by God, Ananias, came in and ministered healing to his eyes, and baptized him in water, laid hands on him to receive the Holy Spirit, and Saul became a preacher of the gospel. And now we begin our text. Now, after many days, Acts 9.23, after many days were passed, 
So Paul is preaching a long time in Damascus. The Jews plotted to kill him, the unbelieving Jews. Now keep in mind the believers and the unbelievers are both Jewish. They plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. And they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Now Damascus was a walled city. And as you know, if you're looking for somebody in a city, they're hard to find because people are everywhere and buildings are everywhere and streets are running in different directions. So the best place to catch someone is at the gates because everybody has to pass through the same places. So they're waiting day and night looking to catch him and kill him. So what happened? Verse 25, then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. So the wall was too high to jump over or jump off of. They got up there with a big basket, put him in it, and let him down and helped him escape. And so what did he do? He went back to Jerusalem, where he was part of starting all this persecution. When he had come to Jerusalem, Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. They didn't get the memo. They were scared. What what kind of plot is this? Is he going to try to be a double agent here? Is he going to try to undermine us? And did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. I love Barnabas. His real name was Joseph, and he was an encouraging guy, so they nicknamed him the son of encouragement, or Bar, son, Nabus, of encouragement. He brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he, how he saw had seen the Lord on the road and that he, the Lord, had spoken to him, and how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus for many days. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So the church accepted him. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, that is the Grecian Jews, but they attempted to kill him. Now, when you consider this, probably some of these people that wanted to kill him were involved in the gang that killed Stephen, whose coats he held. So what was the church's response? Tough for you, Saul. I wonder who's going to carry their coats. (laughs) No, they didn't respond that way. When the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea, Uh, It's north. You don't think of going north as going down, but Jerusalem is in the high part of Israel. They go down to the coast, on the coast where there's a seaport, and send him out to Tarsus. So he sailed to Tarsus. Who remembers the story of Jonah wanting to go to Tarsus? Remember? In this case, it was a good thing. Tarsus was where he was from. So there would be relationships and resources there where he could survive and away from the heart of the persecution that he had been a part of. Obviously, they really wanted to kill him bad because he, he's a, not only a Christian, he's a traitor. <laughs> and then, thank God, verse 31 happens sometimes. Then the churches throughout all Judea, notice churches, the congregations were multiplying. Throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord, in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. 
I'd like to speak to you today on the subject, let's learn from our forefathers. Can we say forefathers? forefathers. Talking about our spiritual forefathers, those who walked before us. Not so much focusing on the apostles and the leaders, but on the members. What were they like? There's clues that we glean from this wonderful book as to how they function. They are our heroes. They pave the way before us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I pray that you'd speak to us in such a way that we would change our ways. In Jesus' name, amen. For Christmas, I bought my parents DNA tests from Ancestry.com. I had seen the commercials one too many times and found out they were on sale and being curious about my roots, uh, mind you, getting curious about your roots is okay. You can go too far with it. It becomes idolatry. In fact, the Bible talks about useless genealogies. I didn't want to do that, but I was interested. So I bought my parents each DNA test, and my mama died before I could administer. I couldn't get her DNA. So we went ahead and ministered it to my dad, who always told us he was Scotch-Irish. Well, not so much. <laughs> he was British. He was British. Only 15% Irish. And what's this Asian thing? Well, uh, his mama looked kind of Asian. Some of her pictures, it's like, wow. So it could be. And so to get a picture of what mom was like, I went ahead and took one. And so the difference in me and my dad would give us a clue as to what mom was like. So whatever's different from my test than my dad's test, my mom would be more so. Does that make sense? So here's my test. 4% Africa. Who knew? <laughs> Mali. Oh, my goodness. That's an Islamic country. North Africa. That's Islamic territory. How did that happen? Well, if you don't remember, the, the Moors ruled parts of, of Europe years ago. So these tests apparently go back thousands of years in your roots. My mama was more Irish than my dad. <laughs> or I am more Irish than my dad. Then you've got even some Jewish in there, which she always told us we were black. She was part black Dutch, which is a, is a Dutch Jew. Well, I can't do a DNA test and my wife not do one, right? <laughs> Who would like to see Miss Yvette? All right, hers is so detailed, we had to make it smaller to get it on the page. <laughs> Her mother's family, the Moises, came from the island of St. Helena, where Napoleon was exiled. And those island cultures are little melting pots where people sail around the world and stop there. Anyway, so 27% African, but not South African, even though her parents were from South Africa. Her, her African ethnicity comes from Benin and Togo and the Cameroon and Congo. So got some Francophone African in there. Bonjour, mademoiselle. And then Asia, who knew? No wonder her sister looks like she's from India when she dresses in certain fabrics. 43% European. And look at that, 14% Jewish. It really is true. But Scandinavia, how did that happen? 
Pacific Islander. No wonder you always want to go to Fiji. Oh, my goodness. It's fun. Fun. I want to talk about our spiritual forefathers. Not these ones. These are the founding members of our church. I point out one person there. From your right, you see the lady on the right hand? That is Evan A. Reekers. She's still around. Then we won't tell who the skinny guy is in the back there. But three people over from her is Miss Barbara Smith. Barbara, can you stand? She hosted the beginning meetings of this church. Hallelujah. No, today we are talking about our spiritual forefathers in the first congregation and the first churches, plural. What were they like and what can we learn from them? Well, we can learn that they were teachable. They wanted to hear what Jesus had to say, and he told his disciples in the Great Commission to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to observe everything he commanded. They wanted to be told what to do. They were not obstinate know-it-alls. They were teachable. They were friends with one another. They liked each other. They ate together, and they prayed together. See, all this eating business is in our roots. On the very day the church was born, this was recorded about them, continuing steadfastly. This is strength and faithfulness, steadfast, in the apostles' doctrine. Now, that's not a bad word. That means teaching. What, were the, what is the apostles' doctrine? What, it, what are the leaders of the church teaching? They're teaching what Jesus commanded. Make disciples, teach them to observe everything I commanded. So they're steadfastly hearing teaching. And they're steadfastly in fellowship, friendship, community, the breaking of bread, eating together, and prayers. Are you faithful at these? I know sometimes you have to be on the road, but even on the road, you pass churches that are having church, go in and listen to the word. When I'm on vacation, I go to church. I like to remember what it's like to be a visitor and learn some stuff that makes changes here and learn some stuff that we'll never do that I saw done somewhere else. (laughs) But this is to be our lifestyle, teaching, fellowship, eating, and praying. What about fasting? That happens too. Our our earliest brothers and sisters were unified. They didn't talk about each other. They were one accord. They encouraged each other. They praised God publicly and privately. It wasn't just a a once-a-month event, a concert that they went to where they worshiped. No, it was a daily thing in private, but also in public. Continuing daily. Can we say daily? With one accord. They weren't just unified once a week. It was daily unity. In the temple, that's public. And breaking bread from house to house, that's private. They ate their food with gladness. They were thankful for one another's cooking. And simplicity of heart. Sometimes we aren't hospitable because We're embarrassed about the simplicity of our food. Well, that's a good thing. Beans and cornbread are awesome if you have some ketchup. (laughs) Praising God. (laughs) Praising God. 
praising God in the temple, praising God house to house, praising God while they're eating, and having favor with all the people, not just the church members, but even unbelievers liked them. Why? Because they were on street corners with megaphones yelling at people, telling them they're going to hell? No. They were loving their enemies. The commands of Christ will make your enemies love you. The commands of Christ will get you promoted on your job. The commands of Christ will get you friends where you never had them before. And what was the result? The Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What else were they like? Our forerunner ancestors were very generous. You want to argue about tithing? These people gave everything. Went beyond just mincing out, you know, to the penny, God's blessings. They helped make sure no one had any lack. So we say no lack. Acts 4.32 says, The multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. They had all things in common. And with great power, the apostles gave them witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. Now, the word lack, I believe, refers to a need, not necessarily a want. A need. Maybe they needed a new donkey to help carry their burdens. They needed food. They needed clothes. Maybe, maybe they didn't get vacations when they wanted them, but no one among them who lacked, nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things, proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. There's a connection between lack and need. If someone had a need... It got met, so no one lacked. This church was made up of Jews who were from all over the Roman Empire who didn't want to go home because there was no church back home and because they were growing and because this was a season, a crucible, where the church was being formed. So awesome, generous people. What an example they've set for us to follow. Our first leaders responded to true complaints. I say true complaints. Sometimes there's complaints that are based on opinions, you know. But th this was true complaints. In those days, a number of disciples were multiplying. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. That is, the Israeli Jews were complained against by the Greek Jews, the Jews from the empire, because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Who knows hunger is not an opinion. This was happening. This was a, a problem. The 12 summoned the multitude of disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. They were too busy teaching the commands of Christ. Therefore, brothers, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. Who knows it's good to have a good reputation? Well, my reputation's trashed. Well, don't give up. Start building it. One brick at a time. A reputation can be ruined all at once, but a reputation is built one brick at a time. Make a decision with God's help to begin to build a good reputation today. 
full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. You can be full of wisdom and not the Holy Spirit and just have carnal thinking. But you can also be full of the Holy Spirit and very foolish. You want both. I know some people that are so spirit-filled, they talk in tongues all the time, and their unbelieving friends think they're idiots. There's no wisdom. Paul wrote about that in 1 Corinthians 14. So these guys with these qualifications whom we may appoint over this business, that we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So they responded to these complaints. They didn't rebuke them. They didn't say, you bunch of murmurs. Where were you when God found you? How dare you? No, they responded and helped bring a solution. Through spreading God's word, our spiritual forefathers were multiplied. The word of God spread and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let me talk about the word of God spreading. You have permission. In fact, you've been commissioned to spread the word of God. Do not depend on your church congregation to do the spreading of God's word. The responsibility is on all of our shoulders. Maybe you have the gift of hospitality and you know somebody that has the gift of teaching, get together and do something. Well, don't we need permission? No, you don't need permission. Some churches function like that. I think it's stupid, man. Release people to minister, to do what, what they can, to do what they've never done. Think outside the box that you're in. What can you do that you're not doing? Or what can you do that's never been done before? Josh Snodgrass started a Bible study at his job. How long has it been going, brother? Sometimes Muslims come, right? Yeah. During lunch. Say, I'm having a Bible study. Meet me over here. Who knows? Who knows what would happen if you did this kind of thing? Uh, Lori Zeger, are you here? Sean Ferris, she's in the nursery. Okay, Lori Zeger has a bi-weekly event at her home where she invites friends over in, in their neighborhood, and Sean teaches a Bible study in her home, and God's using it mightily. Spreading the word beyond the walls of this place. Uh, Shelly Waddell has had a Bible study going on in her home for, I think, years. Uh, Purita Crook. We haven't seen them in a few weeks. They've been out of town to California. Um, she has an event in her home on a weekly basis. Think outside the walls. Jeff Ferris uh, leads a prayer meeting uh, outside the walls of the company he oversees with some men in Fort Worth, and he lives here in Granbury and goes to church here in Granbury. Think, think Lord, I, let's just pray. Lord, I pray that you would just open our minds up to see the possibilities of spreading your word. What can we do to be part of that? If speaking in public scares us, if speaking in private scares us even more, but being hospitable doesn't, help us, Lord, to team up with somebody and, and, and function in the gifting with which you've called us. Amen. Are you fulfilled in your Christianity? Well, I used to be, but now I sense that there's something missing. This is it. This is it. Well, the opportunities to serve at the church aren't really my cup of tea. It's not the way I'm wired. Well, think beyond the walls of the church. You have permission to do something. 
Maybe it's just a one-time event, a picnic for your block to bring neighbors together. It doesn't all have to be spiritual. So I'm trying to stir you up. All right. Our first generation was esteemed by others. They were respected by their neighbors. Andy Duncan, one of our founding members, he was in that picture. He and his wife, Jess, and their two little girls are missionaries in Germany. And they're helping a congregation. And this congregation is in a neighborhood. And they have to close their windows during praise and worship. So they worship till it gets too hot. Then they stop worshiping and open the windows and do some teaching. I visited a church in Germany and actually experienced that. It's unbelievable. But they're doing it. And guess what? Their neighbors love them. The police don't come. And they're not out in the streets protesting our rights have been violated. They really consider the cost and just obey the law and not disturb their neighbors. Thank God we don't have to do that. What can we do to be esteemed by our neighbors? Do we have to be jerks about everything? They're violating our Christian rights. Well, how about helping somebody who's in need instead of focusing on ourselves? Well, we're under persecution. I don't think so. When you read this book, you see what it is. Is the threat there? Yes, that's how it starts, of course. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. This was a place in the temple where they worshiped, a shaded area. Yet none of the rest dared join them. People wouldn't join their church, but they esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord, both multitudes of men and women. They practiced ministering to sick people. People brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also, a multitude gathered from surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. God did this. Well, where are those days at? Well, I think... I think... There's some other things to look at here as well. There's 14 points we're making today about the early church. Where's the, where's the 13 points at? This is God's point. Where's the 13 points? Are we doing our part? This isn't to shame. This is just to get us to think. Ministering to sick people is more than praying for them. It's seeing them get healed. And this isn't some hocus-pocus Peter's doing. The sick are doing this. He's, he's not saying, come and see my shadow, you know. Here, catch my coat as I throw the anointing at you. No, none of that. He wasn't playing games. This was serious stuff. Our originators excelled under pressure. They weren't crybabies when things didn't go their way. They just took it as an opportunity to grow and be stronger. And their leaders reproduced themselves in our original members. And the word of God was spread by them. Acts 8, we read this a few Sundays ago. A great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, crying their eyes out. Nope, they went everywhere, preaching the word. Why? Jesus had said, in the world, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I will overcome the world. I have overcome the world. It's a done deal. Lord, make us contagious. In spite of persecution, they were forgiving. We read this earlier. Look at this. He spoke boldly, Saul, in the name of Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. When the brethren found out, they didn't say, well, who's going to hold their coats? You better pray, Paul. No, they did their part. They brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Now, let's just think about this. These people were all Jewish, and Saul was one of their own, their Jewish brother, a Sanhedrin, one of their governing leaders who killed one of their leaders. Maybe... Stephen's mom was in this church, still grieving the death of her son. Maybe his dad, maybe his wife and children, maybe his in-laws, maybe his close friends. He had a good reputation, maybe his neighbors. They had to deal with this. Would that not be hard? I'm, remind, I'm reminded of the church in Charleston that got shot up with that, by that guy. The black church. How many people were killed that day? Nine. And they have chosen, with God's help, to speak forgiveness towards that guy. Hopefully justice will be carried out. What an example for us to follow. Where did they get that? They got that from our forefathers who helped Paul escape. I'm really glad for this last point. Like us, they experienced different seasons. Can we say seasons? Closing verse today, verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea, that would include Jerusalem, and Galilee, and Samaria, had peace. A season of no persecution, and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Now, was that the end of persecution? No. But it was a season. It was a break. It was the end. You know, when some people preach through the book of Acts, they just hit the good stuff. And compare ourselves to all this good stuff, we feel like we suck. Well, if we could only be like the church in Acts. Well, 
Read the whole story. And other people, I saw a sermon series yesterday promoted. The title of the series was The Persecuted Church. And they're going to highlight all the bad stuff. And the result of that is to feel guilty because we've got it so good. No, it was both riot and revival. While they're mourning the death of James, they're celebrating the deliverance of Peter. Good stuff and tough stuff. This is what life is. It's reality. So when things are going good in your life, be thankful. Don't take it for granted because tomorrow could bring a big change, right? When things are tough, don't give up hope. You will outlive your problems. If you've been given the gift of eternal life, you know you're going to outlive your problems because you're going to live forever. Your problems are not. All our problems are temporary. Justice will come. More persecution arose up again in Jerusalem, and God allowed the Roman Empire to level that city in 70 AD. So justice happens. Sometimes it's a long time in coming. So rejoice in this season that you're in. Weep with those who weep. Laugh with those who laugh. Learn how to be content in every state. Lord, help us to be content in every state, how to abound and how to be abased, to, to stay faithful to you in every circumstance, to be grateful with your blessings, Lord, and to trust you when we need more blessings and we're not seeing them right away. Lord, I just pray that your word would have an impact on our lives in such a way that others will follow in our footsteps and walk in maturity and growth, spreading 